When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I, I know I can't be doing this forever because it takes a lot of physical. These American Bulldogs, they they can fight. You know, they can get uh, two of the wrong personalities together and they'll fight. And I just know at a 75, 80-year-old guy, I'm not probably going to be able to handle that. <laughs> right, right. And, and yeah, the- one of the best things about the American Bulldog that I look back at, when I first started, I probably thought, oh, it's so horrible. We have all these different types, you know. It's all helter-skelter. But the good thing is that we have, you know, American Bulldog people, most of them don't realize they have a really big gene pool to yeah, deal with. exactly. Uh, Alan Scott sold dogs to just guy Joe Painter. Joe Painter, they say, was an ex-dog fighter or something, which I, I really don't know any of that. But So him and a guy, Steve LeClerc, and a bunch of other people, Went a different thought a different way than Mr. Johnson. They thought we want to preserve the original dog, and then I think just like me, they got disenchanted and thought, you know what, <laughs> some of this is hype. You know, some of this. There's been dogs in the South that were good hunting, hunting, catching, farm utility dog, all the little things they say about the history, but then there's a lot of junk too, and so I know, I know personally, there's been you know in the 80s, 90s. Uh, there's been people that have used dogs that uh, probably were crossed with something else from a hog hunter. And uh, so you have a weird dichotomy. You got half the standard type. These performance guys are like uh, uh, young guys that love a pit bull and love the way pit bull breeders breed and love the romanticism of I've got the baddest mother jumper on earth. If I walk down the street and I get attacked by another dog, my dog is going to come out on top. And, you know, they have this game game mentality with the dogs and whatever. They, they are about performance above everything. And I'm sure some of them have put some stuff in there, you know, so, uh, there's a big, vast gene pool there. And then you got the other side. You got these bully people that, unfortunately, is most of the, what's being bred today. And you got a guy that's just like, you know, I don't want my dogs to be aggressive at all. I don't care if they can catch a flea. All I want is a big head, thick bone, and, you know, just a cool-looking dog, you know, cool looks. So, and then those people throughout history of the breed, I know for a fact, have crossed English Bulldog, more oldie, uh, bull mastiff, dog de Bordeaux, who knows? And that's probably just the things that I kind of know. And uh, Mr. Johnson was probably the number one guy. He, I'm sure he put, I'm positive he put St. Bernard in. I don't have proof of it, but I mean, I have pictures of dogs he produced that look more like a St. Bernard than an American Bulldog. So, and he had to put something big in there because he started out with Dick the Bruiser, who was called tiny and he wasn't called tiny because he was big he was called tiny and he's probably a 70 pound dog mm-hmm. and most of the dogs back then were probably about 75 80 and 
know, he went from that within a few generations to 150 pound dog or 130 pound dog. So something big was put in there. So we have a helter skelter, uh, gene pool and, uh, it's bad for trying to produce the consistency, but it's, it's good because, uh, you have, have a resource. I, there's a breeder in Pennsylvania, to be honest with you, he's probably, uh, the only serious breeder, somebody that's got, you know, four five, six generations that I really have a lot of respect for. Uh, his name is Jeff Beavers and he owns uh, bullhead American bulldogs. And he's a young guy. He started very young, and he started with a dog called Brimstone that was a gigantic 120-pound, very game-type dog, American Bulldog. And he's really created a really good bloodline. Um, the dogs tend, some of them tend to be a little hotter, a little more animal aggressive than what I like, but they, they're great. Uh, other than that, they're fantastic. They're really just to me, if I was just going to breed standard American Bulldogs, I would just give up and <laughs> breed his dogs. Right. I'm using them as outcrosses. I have a dog of his he produced called Dose that uh, uh, is a shorter muzzled, cobbier looking dog. And I have a daughter, or I have a uh, female that's bred off of Dose's uh, brother and sister. And uh, I'm using her. And I've bred some of his other dogs. But he's the polar opposite of the Johnson stuff, totally different mindset, totally different idea of what he wants, mm -hmm. you know, and his selection is so different than mine, but the dog, the, the end product to what, what he has, his bloodline is just what I need, you know, and I'm, that's my final outcross as to his, his blood. And, um, I'm going to use him as just to get, uh, genetic diversity and still be able to line breed on my dogs. Like I, I've inbred and I line breed and, and I do outcrosses. I do the outcrosses to introduce things I don't have and mm -hmm. to also enable me to be able to tighten up on blood and not have it bottleneck or, or just totally be too inbred and too uh, cut down too much on genetic diversity. Yeah, you know, I've studied a little bit in color genetics because yeah. I'm not, I'm not like these, a lot of these young people now. A lot of the American bulldog people have gotten into French bulldogs, and that's a whole different thing. Like I get people that want to argue with me about color, and I'm just going off of my rudimentary uh, understanding of genetics and uh, what I've experienced with my dogs. You know, I have, I produce non-brindle black. It's black that it has no brindle in it. And uh, I know how it, I, I've done it for generations. So I know what it produces, you know. And, uh, but I don't know all the little codes, you know. They have all these different codes that tell you this dog carries a chocolate gene and this dog carries a blue gene and this dog has uh, whatever, tri-coat. This dog has a pie ball and this, all this stuff. And a lot of these Frenchy people, because they make their money selling lilacs and tri-blue, this, you know, just every weird combination. So I don't know all the little codes. I've never looked into it. I've never DNA tested my dogs for color. 
I, I don't care. It's not, I'm not trying to produce tricolored dogs. I'm not trying to produce anything. I produce chocolate, I produce lilac, and I produce blue. But it always pops up as a fluke. I didn't know it was going to happen. You know, I produce, uh, well, I produce quite a few chocolate dogs. I have a chocolate dog now. She's so probably the worst dog I have. I mean, she's a great dog, but she's not. She's not the best dog I have. Mm-hmm. And chocolate, uh, you know, as soon as you produce anything, of course, I, everybody's hypersensitive to me because I'm the guy, the bad guy that uh, says things they don't want to hear. And uh, I breed weird stuff because I, I crossed in uh, standard stuff and I produce weird color, you know, dogs with a lot more color. So anything I produce, like I produced a chocolate dog, uh, because I, I bred a black male that I had, and he, he has, he's a grandson of my dog, Jack, and Jack was the only dog really in the last 15 years that I had that really kind of threw that liver-colored pigment. And uh, I didn't even think about it. I bred, he was on both sides of the pedigree, his great-grandpa or great-great-grandpa. So when I bred them together, it produced one chocolate dog, and... Uh, some guy in France offered me too much money for the dog and I sold him. But right away, other people that don't understand genetics or just don't want to understand genetics and just want to talk bad about me are like, you put chocolate lab in there, right? which it doesn't work that way. You know, chocolate lab is a black lab that has the red nose gene, right? But you don't get it unless both parents have it on both sides and they express it. So, if you breed two chocolate dogs together, that's all you get is chocolate because it's recessive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't just take a, a line that has no liver coloring and then, you know, doesn't carry it and then introduce a chocolate dog and get it. Same with blue. You can't take a blue pit bull and breed it to a, a, a Johnson American Bulldog that doesn't carry blue and get blue. It won't, it'll be in the genes of the dogs, you know, after that, but it won't produce it until you get it on both sides and then they match up and express it mm-hmm. <clears throat> and now there's a color a few people have tried to get it and gotten it called lilac which is a chocolate dog that's so a black dog that carried that inherited blue, the red nose gene and also carried the blue dilute the dilution gene so a red nose dilute is just all the black pigment is gone and so it leaves that liver color. And then a blue dog is just a, a dilute. It's just a reduction of pigmentation in each hair follicle. So a black dog that's reduced by 50% of the pigment spots in the hair looks gray. That's why those blue dogs have a sheen to them. You know, mm-hmm. the sunlight, they kind of glisten a little bit. And that's just a, a hair shaft that is clear, doesn't have any pigmentation, has less pigmentation in it. So it's crazy. I'm, I'm sure maybe there's people that have crossed all kinds of stuff in there, but you can manipulate the dogs and get blue. You can get any color you want. It's very easy to do, especially mm-hmm. if you're testing for it and you know what it's got. So I had a dog that was pretty famous, oh, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, called Blue Ballistic. He was a white dog, so he was a pied, pied dog, but he had a, uh, big blue uh, 
they call it blue fawn patch on his face. It was a red dog that got the dilution gene. So he's, his pigment in his hair was reduced by 50% or better. So he looked kind of purpley, grayish, red, you know, and they call that blue fawn. So I bred him a lot because he was a pretty cool dog, had great hips. And uh, so that's in my dogs. And then I introduced the black color. So eventually I had black, a black dog with blue dogs on either side and you get a blue. I haven't had a lot of blue dogs, but I've, I've had some I produced. I don't have any, I don't have one right now. Mm -hmm. I don't even have that many black dogs right now. People think that's all I produce is black, but that's just a big controversy. <clears throat> that's what people contact me for all the time is they want a black tuxedo type dog. They mm -hmm. just want huggy or gaucho you know that's what they want to pay the big bucks to get dog just like that but you know that's that's the thing about the dog world too you got to realize it's just like i said before everything is uh dictated by looks you know, everybody that buys a dog even breeders even working people it kills me they're just like oh, i don't like the way that one looks i don't like that color or something like that I'm like what but I tell people, I used to get crazy when they'd tell me color. Oh, no, I don't want a dog with a black eye patch. Or I don't want a dog with that red or whatever. And like, I'd tell them a story of when I got Broadzilla. She was the second pick puppy of the litter. I, I had second choice. The pick puppy was this big, huge red and white female, her sister. She grew up to be a nice dog. And Brazil was white and had fawn eye patches, but Brazilla grew up to be a freak. Just mm -hmm. crazy muscle, very good structure, really tidy dog. And she looked great, but it, it wasn't because of her color. It was because of her physique and her muscle and, and her structure. So you can pick a puppy that's a cool color, but it may just turn out to be, eh, you know, a good, a dog. A, medium or average or crappy dog with the cool color yeah you know the color is easy to get anybody can manipulate the color genes pretty easy it's all the other stuff that's tough to get bulldogs yeah. they, nobody cares about the color no i mean there's no. certain things you know certain colors that are rare or they like they i think they and that uh for years somebody decided that black wasn't a good color yeah so they that was a big no-no. Yeah. And that's what happened. Somebody has some co uh, cosmetic limb, and then the next thing you know, everybody's got to conform to it, and they're like, have puppies born that's the wrong color, and they drowned them or they hide them. You know, they don't, they put them in a pet home or something. And when you do that, you just, maybe you have a dog there that had a really, a cachet of just the best genes. You know, and then you just eliminate them completely. It happens in every breed. There's yeah. a really cool video I love to watch. Uh, I think it's called the Graham Gramwood Mastiffs. There's a guy on there that I really I can't remember his name. He's a, a bulldog historian. I think he's the greatest. And then they're all they have this thing about mastiffs. And it was pretty interesting. They talk about how the mastiffs after World War II pretty much were almost extinct. Yeah. They sent a few of the best to the United States and they had a resurrected breed afterwards by using Newfie and St. Bernard and Great Dane and whatever English Mastiff genes they could find. But they talked about the piebald 
English Mastiffs have, have been around since the beginning. If you look at old antique uh, mm-hmm. artwork, you can see black Mastiffs, English Mastiffs, and piebald, black, white with patched English Mastiffs. And uh, somewhere somebody decided that that was impure. I don't know. Maybe they thought a beagle got <laughs> I don't know. And they decided, nope, that's not an English Mastiff. So again, cosmetics destroy the gene pool. And so yeah. those people would drown those dogs, those puppies, the minute they were born or break their neck. Yeah, I know. And, and they don't have a clue. You know what? When a dog is born, you don't know if it's a superstar of the dog world. You have no idea. So it, it's just silly. That's why I get upset with the color stuff. People think I'm all about black and color. I, I, I really don't. The color doesn't turn me on as much as like i said when i see a dog that has got it all like they're just move good they got the temperament they're athletic uh, and especially if they can do some work then that's just the trifecta i mean they're that is an awesome animal i don't care what color it is i i don't even now i'm to the point where i have some dogs i'm like ah, i know you're you're ugly most people look at you and they don't even they don't want nothing to do with you they're the wrong color you're not as extreme proportions and stuff, but I know, like my dog Mayday. My dog Mayday is just average as far as what uh, people want. You know, his size, his length of his muzzle, nothing's exaggerated, and he's all red. He's got a little white on his chest and his feet, but he's got tons of red color. Like I said, people have said, "Oh, I, that looks like a that looks like a Rhodesian Ridgeback." You know, or you get people say, oh, I can tell you put a Mastiff in there or whatever. But it's not the looks that I really, I think he's beautiful just because I know him and I know his personality. But it's watching him work. Mm-hmm. You know, when he gets done with a hog hunt and you pull off his GPS collar that he's run 12 miles in that whole day catching several pigs. It's like, wow, this son of a gun yeah. is something else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have his son now. He's actually inbred, uh, made a bred to his daughter, and he's even a better dog than his dad. But he's even, you know, the type E bully American Bulldog police, they, they're repulsed. I actually, I showed a picture of him tied to this female that I bred him to. And uh, sure thing, right away, I get some guy, oh, what is that, Labrador? <laughs> what uh, i have another guy wow that's just a pit bull like he's 95 pounds and you know he's undershot and uh i don't i don't know what pit bulls you've seen but he doesn't look like a pit bull mm-hmm. he just had a lot of black color to him and he doesn't have that classic johnson muzzle mm-hmm. he's got more of a standard blocky muzzle so you know it's like anything like i told you that chocolate female i have I could sell her right now for thousands of dollars and she's a good dog. Don't get me wrong, but she, she couldn't work. She, you know, she's got a short muzzle. Mm-hmm. She breathes good, but not good enough to be a hog hunting dog. And, uh, she's just got a pet temperament. Like she's a sweetheart, but you're not going to get her to, you know, she's not gonna cut the mustard as a working dog. But everybody sees her because she's muscular. Her chest is wide. You know, her chest is a little too, her shoulders a little too wide. And her muscle's a little too short. 
uh, but she's got the look, man. And she's chocolate. She just, in the sunlight, she glistens. And you can see every cut of her shoulder muscles and everything. Mm -hmm. And I have her daughter from my dog Real Deal, that dog that nobody likes. (laughs) She's awesome. But she kind of favors her dad a little bit right now. Uh, But, you know, her temperament and everything is just awesome. I, I, matter of fact, uh, this morning before I went to work, I was out and it was freezing, frosty cold out. And I just let them run in the yard. But I was trying to do water buckets and stuff. And I had a coat on. And I I hadn't really wore a coat for the the first time I wore a coat because it was kind of cold this morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, she latched onto my sleeve. And I'm walking around like a hanging cufflink. She's just <laughs> hanging on me. So her mom would never do that. Right. So, and she's a sweetheart. So that's the name of the game, you know. And people are like that too. If you had a dog that's something, oh, oh, he's just uh, he's the whole package. But maybe he's not as pretty in pictures. That's another thing that really kills me is nowadays. Back when I started out. You bought a puppy, you know, there is no internet, but you bought a puppy by sending 40 bucks to a guy that sends you a VHS tape right. of the parents, you know, and there's, they're running around doing stuff. It, nobody sent pictures, mm-hmm. but now that's it. There's people that uh, buy puppies. They just have one picture of the puppy, one picture of the parents. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can really... You can't tell anything by a picture. That might be the only picture that turned out nice, and it really doesn't represent the dog at all. So, yeah, it is all. Everything is a big crapshoot, you know. It's so. I, I it, like genetic testing. Yeah. <clears throat> if I was rich, I would do everything just yeah. because I could afford it. But I started out uh, in 1995. I pen hipped a dog. It cost me 175 dollars. Uh-huh. Now. When I pen hit, it cost me four hundred seventy-five dollars, yeah. yeah. and I got to drive like two hours to this one vet. Uh, that she's kind of giving me a deal because my my other vet that I use, he he doesn't own the clinic, but he's the number one partner, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll do dogs with him, but he's got to get it approved to get me anything under a hundred uh, five hundred twenty-nine dollars. Well. Yeah. You know, you got to watch it because dog food is expensive. This is an expensive hobby. Yeah. You know, I like that. There's a saying that says, if you want to be a millionaire breeding dogs, start out as a billionaire. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Tr- it's true. Yeah. I'm nowhere close to a billionaire or a millionaire and nowhere close. So uh, I got to the point, you know, I have, oh, like I said, I have 12, 13 generations of my breedings. And early on, you know, I only had seven, eight dogs. Uh, I was younger. I made more money. And testing was cheap. So I tested, I'd keep two dogs out of every litter. And I tested them right away at four, five, six months. It, with pen hip, mm-hmm. you can do that. It translates. It doesn't, the laxity in the dog's hips don't change that much. So I isolated the best for, for a while there. All I had were dogs that were in the top 10% of the hips. And, uh, so I even outcrossed, uh, I've outcrossed, you know, like Man of War and Aspen Rare. They don't, there's no pen hip, no x-rays, OFA, nothing. So uh, I found that even, even when I outcross that back into my dogs, I get the same hips. You know, my dog Broadzilla, who was the first one that I kind of inbred on, she was point 
3.36, and I redid her at seven years old after four litters, and uh, she was 3.636, which is the exact same thing. And all my best hips are, you know, 27, uh, 32, 36. It's all in that range. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's funny because that's another thing. People say, oh, that guy, you know, he got he has all those good pen hips. That's because he crossed in a greyhound. Great greyhounds yeah. have. <laughs> well, a greyhound's pen hips, the average is like 0. 0.10. You know, they're, they're incredibly tight. So yeah. I got screwed <laughs> when <laughs> I did my – if I did the greyhound, I got screwed because right. I didn't get any better hips. I, I just get the dogs in the twos and the threes like what I pretty much started out, the best dog I started out with. So, uh, you know, and now I can't afford to do all my dogs every generation. So what I I try to do all male, my males, uh, a couple of my dogs that I did older, I just did OFA because the older the dog is, the more chance they're going to have DJD if they have loose hips. So most of them are all OFA good. Uh, my dog Mayday, he was pen hip 2727. Uh, I'm just getting ready to do about three dogs, three males. And then if I can afford it, I'll do the females or I'll wait. I have another friend who's my, a vet that uh, I I take care of her. She's got a little ranch. I take care of her ranch. We barter stuff back and forth. But she just does OFA. And I don't like to use her that much. I hope she doesn't hear this. Yeah. She does. She's my buddy, but she I, she's not up to date on the most modern anesthesia mm-hmm. thing. So when I get my dogs back from her, it's like all day they're they're you know just waking up. Whereas these more advanced people doing pen hip, I don't know what they do. They they knock them out and then they just give them another shot and it wakes them up again. And there's this you know, they're not groggy or anything, mm-hmm. but. So I, I use her because I can barter, and it's cheap. The OFAs are cheap, but I have to wait till the females over two years or better. Um, and that just gives me doesn't give me the, all the information I wish I could get. But if you got 12 dogs and, and you get those dogs by keeping two pups from every litter, and, you know, some dog, you know, a lot of dogs don't just don't turn out. They're not breed worthy. Uh, and you're spending six seven hundred dollars on each one just for the x-rays uh it gets kind of pricey <laughs> it gets yeah. pretty outrageous but like i said it's amazing too that's an maybe that's another reason why i've come around to this idea of maybe breeds would be better off if they had a club or a council that would develop outcrosses by trying to correct the genetic problems they have because i've done so many outcrosses and line breedings, different schemes to try to see what I get. And uh, like I said, early on, I outcrossed. And then when I came back to my dogs, it's amazing. Even if I get down to, to you know, three quarters sometimes, other people's dogs, because I've line bred my stuff and, and selected, I, I, they just have a stronger propensity to my stuff. So if I get down to an eighth, or three quarters, another bloodline. Mm-hmm. It's it's indistinguishable when you see the dogs. It's indistinguishable. Whereas people, some people are like, oh, you know, no, don't don't put that long nosed dog in there. That standard American bulldog with a long nose, you'll never get a typey dog again. Well, I have a dog right now. It's my best, probably my best dog, Papa. He is literally less than three eighths Johnson. 
and he has got such a typey head. He, you know, he's he's bully, but it's not English bulldoggy, but it's wide, thick muzzle, mm-hmm. and he he looks like a short dog, but he's not. He's probably about close to twenty four and a half, twenty five inches. And but in a picture, if you look at him, he doesn't look real tall. You know, and he's just he he. You would think nobody would. I could probably take him to a show if nobody knew who I was and say he, he's all Johnson and they'd say oh he looks different he does look different than a Johnson dog but he his proportions he fits this American Bulldog standard perfect to mm-hmm. a T so it, it's bizarre you know like if uh, with the 7 eighths rule that the NKC used to have they had so many people crying about it like oh you're ruining the breed you know it's so silly because what I think, I mean, I've never done it. I shouldn't even say this because it'll just cause rumors. But, I mean, you could take uh, and take a chihuahua and cross it into a bulldog. And once you get down to one-eighth chihuahua, you'll, you probably will never see anything with chihuahua, the chihuahua. It's just people don't realize that dogs are dogs. And 150, 200, 300, 1,000 years ago, the dogs they called whatever bird dog or greyhound or whatever whatever they called it 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 wasn't bred like we breed them today it was bred on performance like i said if a collie got a hold of your your bull baiting dog and then something off of that was working you know working the way it's supposed to and then they bred it back to a bulldog uh nobody would know nobody would care it's not going to show up just the same as, you know, somebody from Africa uh, has a baby with somebody from Iceland. Uh, you know, there's maybe the first generation, some people could maybe tell, but if they bred back to one or the other, you're not going to tell. We're all humans. Yeah. You know, same with the dogs. We're yeah. all gray wolves. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's not, uh, you know, and. There's some people that get confused. Like I see Connie Corso people saying, oh, my God, that dog's a boxer cross. Or I see people with uh, uh, Press of Canarios say, oh, no, you put an extra pit bull in there or whatever. You know, they're all like so closely related. The same gene pool. They're all from the Alant. They're all from Molossers. They're all from whatever they were calling a bulldog. They probably, if you look at ancient Alants, in paintings from the 1200s some of them look like a freaking pit bull bred to a greyhound some of them look like a great dane doggo yeah some of them you know looked like a press canario yeah. so but they were all the same type they all had the same breed they all had yeah. the same you know general work so they're all related yeah there's a I, some people here in missouri oh Eight years ago, I, I made them promise me they'd send me pictures, and mm-hmm. but they never kept in contact. They wanted a bulldog. They have cattle, and they get unruly cattle. They, so they wanted a bulldog that would actually, you know, catch the cattle and drive mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And and they have a strain of dog. I'd never in my life heard of these dogs, but since then I've looked on YouTube and kind of looked them up. They're called Hanging Tree yeah. Cattle Dogs. Yeah, they're badass. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, uh, I forget what they are. They're like uh, a cattle dog bred to, or a Kelpie bred to a a border collie. Mm -hmm. It was something else in there, who knows. But 
So it's, you know, it's weird. You just never know. I've had, you know, I've read accounts of uh, pit bull fighters uh, saying that uh, there was a dog that they, that nobody talked about, that they, it was one quarter Great Dane and a quarter Amstaff and mm-hmm. then half pit bull. And it was like a grand champion. Yeah. But, you know, nobody wants to talk about it, you know, and they'd say that, oh, a lot of these strains are off of that dog, but it's, they falsified the pedigree or whatever. So it's just, people are so amazed. They think that like, oh no, an American bulldog comes from the planet of American bulldogs yeah. and a, a Great Dane comes from the Great Dane, you know, planet. They're, they're a different species. They're not a different species. No. They're the same, you know, go back to the same family tree. Yeah, I think that I was telling you about that Graham Woods. um, They were talking, they did experiments. I don't know why they did it, but they took an English Mastiff and crossed them with Greyhounds. Yeah. But I know in England, there's those guys that are breeding the English Alant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I gather that they took a Greyhound. Of course, in England, in the UK, they've had lurchers forever. Right. They swear by the people in Ireland that hunt with them. Yeah. Swear by them, and some of them are collie, crossed the greyhound. Some of them are whippet, crossed to uh, deerhound or mm-hmm. whatever. But anyway, they. I think I've seen pictures of some of those dogs. They're just gorgeous dogs. Yeah. But yeah they look like a beefed up greyhound. Uh, greyhound crossed with the. Uh, Great Dane, and they don't, I know they don't have any Great Dane in them. So you can cross up stuff, and look, look, just by looking at it, you're not you're not going to know what it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because like in old paintings, like once again sketches, etchings uh, of dogs. Well, the biggest example is Christopher Columbus came to the United States in 1492 mm-hmm. with a Spanish army, yeah. and they had dogs. That were the Alants. Mm-hmm. They were called Alants, and uh, they were trained to kill people. They were they were trained for combat, and they killed Indians and mm-hmm. ate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not a hearsay. This is documented history. And then they have artists of the time that that drew this. Mm-hmm. And it, if you look it up, you'll see there's all these funny looking Spanish guys in tights, and and, a, <laughs> and they're looking at these poor natives that are getting eaten by these dogs mm-hmm. and the dogs look like a pit bull, uh, sighthound cross. Yeah. It's so, then occasionally one of them will look like a, a short muzzled fila or something like yeah. that, yeah. you know? And if you look at old paintings of, uh, boar hunting, same thing, you'll see, Oh, look, that looks like a dog of Argentina. And then that one just looks like a big beefy greyhound. Mm-hmm. And then that one looks like, a. uh, saluki crossed with a collie or something you know so yeah back then they didn't they didn't have dog shows and they just had performance work it was like uh they either did the job or they got you know put down i guess and they had hundreds and hundreds of dogs if you're talking about nobility yeah so it's funny because i always am trying to study and learn from what people did because i mean if you think about dog dog world especially hunting dogs pointers german wire hair pointers all these dogs they are like so absolute in their job i mean they have pointers that are pointing at six weeks mm-hmm. and it's just like inbred in them so much and uh 
so it's interesting. I wish, you know, you could go back in a time machine four, five, six hundred years ago and talk to these people and, and talk to them about what they did or how they select and all this stuff. It could give us, it would have given us so much insight, but I have a guy that I sold the dog to, uh, here in Missouri, he lives down, um, close to Branson and the real Ozark foothills. Mm -hmm. We're talking big time hillbilly, Mm -hmm. really interesting guys. One of my good friends and, uh, he got an American bulldog from somebody else and then he wanted to get a male. So he bought a male from me and we got to be friends. He started telling me that, yeah, when I was younger, I used to fight pit bulls and, uh, he was hooked up with a pretty famous guy. Uh, I forget if the guy's name was fat bill or Russian bill. One of the, one of the bills. <laughs> anyway, he got in trouble and almost went to jail for it. And so he quit. And, uh, so <clears throat> he's a dog guy from the time he was born. His dad had uh, Walker hounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've had the same kind of discussion I'm having with you about breeding dogs. Mm-hmm. And he told me about most of the best Walker hound strains that come out of the Midwest come from this guy who is good friends with his dad. And he's a very eccentric, strange dude that lives up, he owns like a thousand acres of wooded and farmland there and close to Branson in the hills. And, uh, he said, you know, you wouldn't believe how he breeds dogs. And I'm like, well, tell me, well, how's he do it? He said, well, the guy, you'd pull up in his property and he's got like abandoned cars, abandoned, uh, like camper shells, campers, and the dogs sleep in there. And he has over 150 dogs and, uh, he knows them all. I mean, he knows every one of them. They're running loose. They're not chained up unless he's going to breed a female. He'll have some pens, but they just run. And so he said he's, you know, de- lived through depression, even though he's a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. he, he goes to the school and buys sour milk and old stale bread and he feeds his dogs and stuff. And then he said the dogs hunt at night and the dogs that, that are sleeping during the day because they've hunted all night and they're eating good because they're killing something. Uh, those are the ones he breeds. <laughs> it's the ones that are running around and playing during the day he gets rid of them. He sells them or whatever. Right. And uh, so I said, well, how does he know who's breeding who? He goes, well, he'll cut down on the males, but not usually the females unless they just don't show any any work aptitude. And uh, he's, and I said, well, what does he do? He said, well, he he's one of these old guys that said if God wanted dogs to have papers, he'd have put a pocket on their shoulder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's just... Uh, it's just uh, population genetics. All right. He's breeding population genetics. So he calls down all the, the males that aren't good. He only keeps the best males. And he, he chooses them by how they feed themselves and how they hunt. And it's all performance testing, you know. And, and I, guess he, I guess he hangs papers on them or guesses on how they're bred. I don't know. But... Supposedly, this guy, you know, those field trial dogs can go for a lot of money. Yeah. And he's produced like 10 grand champion field trial dogs. And uh, he said he used to even go to dog shows. He'd pull the dogs out. They'd never have a bath. They're kind of shy and skittish. They'd never been. And they just win the show because they're built great. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, we'd hunt on his property. And uh, 
I'd hear a ruckus and I'd go over. He said one time I saw, I guess one of the main dogs that he had got off his chain and him and another one were running loose and they had something cornered in the ground. They were killing it. And he said, I came up behind him and grabbed the chain. They freaked out. You know, they, they're not used to seeing people out because it's so desolate where they're at. Right. So it just shows you that it's kind of a glimpse in what I bet a lot of the uh, ancient breeders were. Yeah. They, they, for a brief time, oh, I don't know. I dated this girl who was, she liked alpacas and she took me to some open house and I thought it was kind of a neat thing. It'd be kind of neat to have. I got the room. So I bought some alpacas back 15 years ago. Oh yeah. Something like that. And, uh, so I got into alpacas for a second, breeding them. And so I started, they, there's a certain strain of alpaca called an Akoya. I think that's how you say it, Akoya. They're from Peru or somewhere over there in South America. And they are like the best, like one Akoya produces more fleece than, you know, other strains by like three times. And that's the name of the game. They're bred for their fleece. So once a year you shave them down. So the more they can produce and the finer quality, the better. So this guy, Akoya, that's what he did. He, in South America, they'll eat uh, alpacas. So they'll eat a male alpaca. So he'll he'll test their fur and look at them and he'll cut it all down. He'll keep all the females, but he'll cut it down to like five males. And those five males breed whoever they're you know mm-hmm. it's like a cattle farmer you know they're they are a sheep farmer here they're not keeping they're not writing down who's breeding who it's like well, i don't know she's pregnant she's got a baby right. and it's good quality right you know so that's how it was well so i thought hey man if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna produce the best so and there was a guy in pennsylvania that i talked to and he was doing the same thing he had akoya stuff so I didn't have a lot of these. I just had two males yeah. and four or six females eventually. Anyway, so there's little chat boards. And I started talking about this, you know, has anybody line bred and, and inbred on these uh, Koya who obviously have the best fleece? Oh, my God. These women. <laughs> you would have thought I had said, I'm coming to, you know, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to force you to have sex with your son. You know, they thought. They, they hated me. I mean, they came after me with a vengeance. Right. Like, they don't want to hear it. Because, I don't know, there's some kind of a, a tax structure set up in the United States. The people, it, it's a great, you can get two alpacas and you're a farm. And you, you have all the write-off of a farm. It didn't appeal to me because I don't make a ton of money. So, with some people that have a huge amount of money that they like to shelter, they uh-huh. get into these things. And I guess their wives get into them. And a baby alpaca is about as cute as anything you've ever seen. They're right. just a fluffy, cute little thing. So these women think they got little poodles or something. There, and and if you even mention eating one, you know, cause they're <laughs> supposed to have really uh, lean meat. And, and like I said, in South America, they eat the males. Right. Just like all over the world, uh, you know, goat farmers they eat males. They only keep a couple. They they eat the baby males pretty it's a delicacy so i was in that for a while and even them they freaked the hell out and they don't even want to hear it like i had guy a guy who claimed to be some kind of a doctor tell me that i'm full of crap that uh that akoya guy his dog his animals weren't inbred i said well how do you figure if they're if these 
only keeping a handful of the best males and and he they breed the herd he said well an animal won't inbreed an animal won't breed his mother or i said what oh are you talking about dude you you're in fantasy land i don't know what you're talking about i mean it's a fact yeah they they may not do it a lot but it happens and deer population wolves and cattle and buffalo i mean it, it you know it might not be inbreeding like we think and as bad as they do in some dogs but mm-hmm. it, it happens mm-hmm. but uh, they don't want to hear it you know they just they freak out so i got out of that luckily i sold everything before the 2008 when it all crashed right. and uh, i don't i don't know anything about alpacas anymore i, I enjoyed having alpacas but uh, every month you got to give them this shot a sub q shot under the skin here in missouri for this thing called meningia worm mm. and i got along great with those things until you got to give them a shot and their skin is like iron i mean you can't just ease a needle in you got to jab them right and uh they spit all over you that's the only time <laughs> i've ever had them spit on me or they kick you right <clears throat> and they're not really big but i mean a kick they could break your leg oh i'm sure and just the spitting is enough it's fermented grass so it's the most horrible crap all over you so i was like man this is for the birds i i loved raising them though they're just something about yeah them they're just real peaceful and sweet and it's just fun and mm-hmm. the babies are just on the cutest thing you've ever seen but <clears throat> it's i had so many stories just from the five six years i had those i got an akoya male from a female from a woman who raised it from when it was a baby and there's this thing in a in those alpacas called uh male rage syndrome or something like that and uh, what it is is these women like i said they're so cute these women walk around and treat them like a baby right and it's okay with the females but for some reason if you do that with the males they grow up psycho psycho like where they'll just they'll beat up on other alpacas and they'll attack you Mm mm-hmm so I bought this male, and I'm like, wow, this thing is incredible. He was a colored Akoya, and uh, I ended up breeding him, but he was nuts. He wanted to kill me. <laughs> he wanted to kill me. He wanted to kill every other male. And uh, finally, I just isolated him in his own corral and kept him there away from everybody else and then bred him to a couple of females, and that's pretty much what made I made a lot of money from, from him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even know anything about that. I learned later. And they're like, oh, yeah, you bought it from her. Yeah, this dog had, this uh, alpaca has uh, that rage syndrome. I'm like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I bought that thing in the middle of the night. It was just moonlight. It was dark. And he was trying to kill this other male I had. I kept hearing this noise. And the male was just in shock, laying on the ground. And he would not leave him alone. And they have a little skinny neck, a long skinny neck. And I'm at that time I was probably about 280 pounds and I was hanging off that thing's neck. He was picking me up off the ground. That's how, and they don't weigh that much. They're not that, you know, so they're just like a, a little, just, (laughs) he was like a psychopath. (laughs) My other ones looked at him like that, that sucker's crazy. (laughs) Get away from us. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I had one of my, one time I got into it with them so bad uh, and he was trying to run me over it. He'll, he'll smash you with your chest and try to stomp you. 
uh, which you know it'd be like a deer doing it to you, but right. you can it can get you hurt. But yeah. they're not they're not that big. But uh, my friend, my dog Go Ballistic, uh, kind of saved me because he ran up and caught him by the bottom lip. Oh wow! And once he did that, uh, he that he woke up quick. He wasn't all of a sudden he wasn't a raging alpaca anymore. <laughs> and then I got a, a harness on him and got him in the pan and told him to let go, and he let go. <laughs> that's a, that's the bad Achilles heel with alpacas. They're they're terrified of dogs. Oh, are they? Yeah, that was the only thing I worried about. My dogs getting out and killing, you know, a ten thousand dollar alpaca. Right. <laughs> so, but hmm. yeah, that uh, is a crazy world of breeding animals. Right. 